Hey everybody, welcome to Necessary Pursuit. I want to formally introduce you to my latest passion project. This project is my latest fix and has all of my attention. I'm talking about my new podcast, Necessary Pursuits. So if you've tuned in to the first episode of season one, you kind of get an idea of where we're going and what lane we are staying in for this entire project. The idea with the podcast, it came to me a little bit over three years ago when the world came to a halt in March of 2020. All of us were forced to look ourselves in the mirror and unlock our hidden talents, our ambitions, and our desires. We looked long and hard at what we found important, what drove us, and what motivated us. As I self-reflected in the spring of 2020, I started to ponder the idea of getting a book together and my book was going to be based off of all the people in my life that have supported me and what they've done to basically inspire me to keep moving forward and what their pursuit was to get to how basically to get to where they are in their life, what they've done from what they got to point A, to point B. So here we are. And, you know, that book never fully transpired. I went back to work. The world became busy again. And now we are sitting here in 2023 and I'm launching this podcast because I want to get these stories out. And what I've done is I've taken all of my individual ideas for chapters, which in the beginning, it was going to be a chapter per person. These individuals that I've worked with and come across in my life, whether I've known them personally or professionally, and I was going to write a chapter on each individual. And what I'm doing now is I'm actually just interviewing those people. And I really hope you enjoy this. This project is um, super uh, important to me. It has a reason, it has a purpose, and I feel that it is necessary for everyone to tell their story. It's necessary to talk about your pursuit, your pursuit of your career and your pursuit of life. So my ask is that you just be open and listen to these conversations, and hopefully you can take something away from it for each story that all of these folks have to talk about. Uh, season one is all women, so I'm focusing primarily on each individual person, and I speak to them anywhere from a 30 to 45, some of them are a little bit longer, 60-minute interview, and um, kind of just getting the backstory. People that I've worked with a long time, I may know them pretty well. I may know them just on a professional level, but something they've done in the course of my time with them, whether it be for a small amount of time or a very long amount of time, Something they have done has given me the inspiration to learn and want to learn more about them as an individual and hear their story. It'll be um, basically this podcast is its own personality. I wanted to create a scene and leave people, all of you listeners, feeling better about yourselves, regardless of whether you're in times of doubt and turmoil or times of confidence and bliss. Some topics that we talk about are work-related, some are not work-related. Some individuals have gone through complete crazy times in their life and how they've overcome those times and become uh, the people that they are, I feel that those stories need to be told. I want everyone to leave, I say this all the time, always leave people better than you found them. And that is something that I've said for years. And knowing that these individuals have helped me in some way. They have certainly left me better after the fact than how they found me. They have given me something in my life that has pushed me forward and helped me get to where I'm at today. 
So I thank you for tuning in. This is a super important thing for me to get this uh, project off the ground. And I really appreciate everybody's time and listening. My first episode is out. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have listened to it with Esme Russell, she is a trailblazer here in the LGBTQ plus community in Tampa, Florida, and all across this great area in Tampa Bay. And um, she actually married me not too long ago. She became an officiant and she married myself and my husband, Nathaniel, and we are so proud of her. She's such an amazing woman. That was my first episode and I've re received the most incredible feedback on what everyone has heard and what everyone has heard about her story and her life. And you know, the next six or seven episodes coming out in season one will be just that. Some of them are gonna be a little bit different. Some of them are talking about career specifically. Some of them are talking about people's life goals and things they wanna do and accomplish. And I really hope you enjoy it. So we are gonna get into episode two here. And episode two, we are talking with a very, very good close personal friend, Noreen Infantino. Noreen is someone that I've worked with uh, for about 10 years. And someone, um, she is someone that I admire greatly. She is a restaurateur. She has owned restaurants before. She has been a chef for, I would say, majority, if not all of her professional career. Um, she talks about that a little bit, how she uh, got into the business and then continued to do her, her and hone in on her craft of being a chef and, and just operating out of a kitchen for the for most part of her career. And I've grown to know her, her family, her friends. I've traveled with her around the world and back. Like I said, we've worked together for 10 years. And I always said this about Noreen. I've said this many times to a lot of people in many different areas of my career. Um, I currently still work in food and beverage, and I, and I reference her a lot. And what I say is Noreen is one of the most business savvy women that I've ever had the pleasure to work with. She will get you the answer if she doesn't have it. Typically, she knows the answer or she has a solution to a problem. She ran her very successful restaurant in Pennsylvania years ago and has continued to kind of move around the Wyoming Valley in Pennsylvania and become the chef that she's known as today. Um, I've got to meet her family. We've, like I said, we've spent holidays together and birthdays and graduations. And my family has become an extension of her family and vice versa. She was actually just at my wedding. Um, Noreen's an incredible person and I really hope you enjoy this interview. So here we go. We have Noreen Infantino on Necessary Pursuits. All right, today we have Noreen Infantino on Necessary Pursuit. Noreen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Shane. How are you this morning? I'm very well. How's the um, weather up in Pittston, Pennsylvania? Because it's about 85 here in Tampa, and we're waiting for this season to finally break for us. Oh, it's cool today. It's like 40, but next week it's going to be 80s next week, so it'll be nice. Oh, nice, nice, nice. And you have, um, are your like leaves changing and everything? They're starting now. So okay. probably in the next two weeks, I'd say, will be the fall foliage season. Yeah, we tell people that. And they're like, what's, what is that? Like people that are born and raised in Florida, they go, what is, like, why do they, like, they don't, they've never seen leaves change. Like people I work <laughs> with, they like, they go to the high school around, they went to the high school around the corner from my house, right where I live. And I work with them now. And they're like, yeah, we never, you know, we've traveled, but we've we've been to New York or we've been to um, Boston or they name like places like they've gone to Atlantic City maybe once or twice, but they've never seen like 
what November looks like in the mountains. You know what I mean? Yeah. With yeah. the leaves falling and you're constantly raking and constantly yard work and everything else, you know, and they just, they have no clue what that means. Or they see it on TV and they're like, oh yeah, like New York in the fall, New York in the winter. I'm like, yeah, it's a different, whole different ball game, but. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, you're, I mean, I'm obviously from very close to your hometown, West Pittston. I grew up in Wyoming and West Pittston, Pennsylvania. You're living in Pittston, but I know a lot about you. I know, you know, that you've owned a restaurant in the past. And I used to come to that restaurant as a kid and dine with my family and friend friends. And um, years later, fast forward, I had the opportunity to work with you again at Valenti's restaurant in Exeter. And that was almost 10 years of my serving and bartending career or path in the hospitality industry. But I don't know a lot about you. I feel like I've known you for probably 15 years or more. I think we met when I started working for Mike Valenti in 2008-ish, like that summer. But yes. prior to that, I just knew a little bit about you owning a restaurant. I knew who your husband was. I knew what you did for a living. I didn't know your kids or your daughter, rather. I didn't know your parents or any of your friends. We had some mutual friends. But I guess, like, where did that all start? You know, you were born, you went to school. Where, where, where were you, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Plains, so I went to Wilkesboro Area School District. So I was born and raised there and stayed there my whole life. I bought a home there when I was able to, and I stayed there. So I didn't move out of Plains until I bought the restaurant in Wyoming. And what year was that? Oh, God, I can't remember. I think I was 28 years old, so I'm 60 or 58 now. So that's 30 years ago. Okay. So like mid nineties, like yeah. 93, 94. And you had the restaurant from 93 up until. I had it 99 actually. So? No, I had it 12 years total, oh, okay. but I, I sold it and then decided that I missed it and bought it back. <laughs> Which, you're, that's you're one of those insane. crazy hospitality people. <laughs> yes. Because it, it, you can't get it out of your blood. I thought, right. oh, this is too much work. I'm done. But I wasn't. I went back. You went back and had another another round. Another um, round. Yeah. So where did you get your your culinary background? I guess or like what? I like never went to first school. job cooking or like. What well, did you want to do that? I remember growing up, my grandmother, like for Easter and Christmas and stuff, we would make ravioli. So I would get up early and go to her house and she'd make homemade ravioli and I'd be closing them. And, you know, and that was like totally, I couldn't wait to do that. So I knew that I liked to cook. So that's how it started when I was a little girl and my grandmother would show me how to make things. My grandmother was 100% Polish and married 100% Italian man. So she knew how to cook Polish and she knew how to cook Italian. So she taught me all. And those but, are probably like the best of the both the best of both worlds like my mother's yes, Polish, and... my father's irish but my father as you know you worked with my grandfather he grew yes. up in an irish household but my grandfather cooked italian food well back then so that's my grandmother so how many years ago was that they her family disowned her because she was 100 percent polish and she married they wouldn't allow her to marry an Italian man. It was like almost interracial at the time. Mm. So they disowned her. So the Italian family took her in and that's how she learned how to cook all the Italian because she lived there with them. Oh my so, God. That's, so that's how she learned both sides of the coin. But 
fast forward, they made up after she had got pregnant with their first child and all the families got along after that. Yeah, but, they probably they probably realized what could have been, how great of a cook she was. So they wanted her back oh, in the family. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So she was like my inspiration to 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 cooking. And then um uh, I went to college for two well two years just get associate's degree in accounting. Mm-hmm. But I worked in the office maybe I don't even think it was two years, but three different jobs and I, I hated it. I felt that I'm like, this is, I can't do this the rest of my, I cannot sit in an office the rest of my life. So that's when I decided to find another career path. <laughs> so I said, let's do cooking. I never cooked in any other restaurant until I owned my own restaurant. Really? Yeah. I never cooked anywhere. But you just knew how to I, do it. I just said I could do this. Well, I didn't say I could do it. I thought about it. It was my father. He said, you want to buy a restaurant? Save your money and buy a restaurant. I said, I don't have no money. He said, well, work three jobs and then save your money for a down payment. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I'm going to tell you the truth. I, I lied. I did something illegal. <laughs> at great, that time, That's how all these great, great stories well, start. Someone has something the, to say. Well, at that time, there was mom and pop banks. They weren't mm-hmm. owned by big corporate banks. You, you, Shane, you grew up like Wyoming Bank. Your grandfather probably went to the Wyoming Bank and said, hey, listen, I need $2,000 because my roof is leaking. Right. And they'd say, oh, okay, Mr. McCabe, we know you. Here, that, that's how it was done back then. It was yeah. like who you knew. There was no paperwork or paper trail or computers. So I went to this bank, and my first time trying to get a loan for a restaurant, the gentleman, it was, this is when they were transferring over to big corporations, and, and I got refused because the man said, there's no parking so there's no way you can buy this restaurant and make a living because there's no parking there. And I said, you're not from here. And he says, no, I'm from Jersey. I, he goes, how do you know? I said, because go to Old Forge. Mm-hmm. I said, there's a restaurant on every corner and there's no parking and they're multimillionaires. So parking has nothing to do with owning a business. If the food is good, they'll come. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I wasn't going to get a loan. So I went back to the owner and I said to her, listen. I don't have enough money for a down payment. You have a nephew that's a lawyer. Have him write a note that I owe you 40, that I put down $40,000 down payment. And I'll pay you back within two years with interest. Mm-hmm. And that's how we went to the bank. And I lied and said I gave her 40000 And then and, you got your loan. And I got my loan. I opened the restaurant and I paid her back in less than a year and a half. Wow. <laughs> and well, that's how it all started. And you never cooked before, and you obviously nope. learned really nope. fast how the how the restaurant business really works yeah. and how crazy but everything. The is. first month I opened, I didn't even open the kitchen. I bartended for a whole month because I didn't know how to bartend. And I said, if I don't know how to bartend, how do I know if I have a good bartender? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to self-teach myself how to bartend. And a man came in and said, could I have a glass of Chevis? And I said, is that Manischewitz wine? <laughs> he said, no, Chevis Regal Scotch, ma'am. Okay. So, Did you have it? <laughs> yes, yes. So I learned how to bartend first. And then I said, okay, now I'm going to open up. And then that was it. it just took off. God. Well, that restaurant was Bianco's, correct? It was always called Bianco's when you owned it? Yes, yes. Bianco's restaurant. Um, I remember going in there as a kid um, to eat dinner, to eat, you know, with family mainly, I guess. I was younger. I wasn't going in there with friends to eat. Um, But 
I would go in there as a kid to have dinner or I'd go in there for, I, I kind of remember, did you do like every once in a while, like any kind of catering, just like a birthday party or something in the dining yes, room? Yes, because yeah. I had that little, and then that little room on the side, so it would be like yeah. little private parties I kind of remember stuff. something yes. happening in there for maybe one of my cousins or something, I don't know, it was something, you know, maybe First Holy Communion or whatever the celebration was at the time, but I was definitely in that restaurant a lot, and then growing up, um, I would go in there for gift cards or gift certificates, and because I knew that like this person in my family or this one or my mother would give me, you know, a hundred bucks and go down there for Christmas time and say I need you know four twenty five dollar gift certificates or something yep. like that. And I'd go into the bar and I'd be like this, you know, seventeen probably year old or whatever, just started driving and I'd go into the bar and everyone would look at me like, who the hell is this kid, you know? And I would go <laughs> to the bartender and get my gift cards or gift certificates or whoever wrote them out the server, and then leave, and then. You sold the business. Years later, somebody else reopened it as another bar restaurant. Um, yes. And that's when I started really, I guess, frequenting that place um, on a regular basis. I even worked in that building at one point as a bartender um, many years after you owned it. But and even I think even while I was working with you at Valenti's, that bar was open and I was working there part time one or two days a week. So it definitely had a lot of history. And that was what a, a hotel back in the day, Union Hotel, right? It was called the Union Hotel. I still have a picture. It's of an ex I remember the... being in there and just being like in awe of everything, the woodwork, the staircases, yep. the dining room and like the crowd. Remember the back bar? The hardwood floors and Yeah. The back bar was all carved, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, the back like behind the bar. It's like something you would see in a movie when you walk into a movie set, like Goodfellas. You yeah. Know, they open the yeah. front door and everything's dark and wooden and crazy looking like just old like something you can't build anymore i mean the right people can build it but you don't see that in new new construction anymore you don't see that really in anything that's modern anymore um, no unfortunately that building did burn down and i drove by it not too long ago a couple of weeks ago when i was up visiting pennsylvania and i remember just like like i looked over at it and i was like god what a like just sad story that is that that place is yeah, gone. Yeah, part you know? of history is gone. You part know? of history. And it, I don't, was it yeah. ever on like the historic registry or whatever you want to call it? I don't know, but the, pic the picture I have, like I have it framed, it says Union Hotel and there was like a little front porch and there was a hitching post with the horse tied to it. I remember seeing that. Yeah, so when I had one of the trees cut down in the front, because it was going into the wires, I had to cut down, and the guy kept breaking his chainsaw and the hitching post was in that tree. The tree grew around it. So it was still there. Oh my yeah. God, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so two of the nicest people I think I've ever met in your life are your parents. I oh. mean, they're like saints. Every time I'd come to your house, you and your husband would have like, you know, Labor Day parties or whatever you were doing or even on vacations. Like I remember yeah. being at like a little pre-vacation party, maybe somewhere we'd meet at a bar for like the 20 or so people that were going on vacation and your parents would always be there. And I remember just talking to your parents and your father's brother who owned a deli who I used to go into that deli as a kid yes. probably once a week as a child for many many summers I would spend a weekend or a couple of days at uh, a cousin's house that was very close to that deli we would take our bikes and ride up there and just an incredible you know family I didn't know your uncle personally I knew him as the guy that owned the deli you know what I mean yeah <laughs> and, but then like later years later we meet and you're telling me stories about you know your uncle and he owned a deli and you tell me the name and i say well there can't be two bubba's delis in one town there's i don't <laughs> yeah. know anybody named bubba but there can't be two bubba's delis in one town and as it turns out we knew the same people and you're related to one of them so um tell me i guess about your like what did your where did your 
mom and dad and me, if you know, or like, where did they, I guess, what did your dad do for a living? What did your mom do for a living that maybe like inspired you to just get into this line of crazy hard work? Well, my father, uh, my like my mother and father, like growing up in those days, it was family. Like five o'clock was dinner time. You sat down at the table because right. dad's coming home from work. And that's just the way it was. Right. My mother never went to work until we started school because she wanted to st- my father believed that you should stay home and like you, one parent should be home. So she went to work when I started kindergarten. I have an older brother. So when I started kindergarten, my mother went to work and she told she didn't drive at that time. She told the boss, you have to pick me up on the corner no. after my child gets on the bus. <laughs> and then you have to have me home standing on the corner before the bus gets there because it was nobody like that's how it was. So this it was a dress factory she worked in and everybody knew the boss and he lived mm-hmm. around the corner. So he said, that's no problem. So she worked part time. My father came from a family of seven and their father was disabled. He had his leg cut off in the mines. So they didn't really have a lot of money. So my father worked, you know, delivering papers as a child, handing his money into his mother to help with the family. So he was always hard worker. So he started at 18 years old at Carter footwear it was a shoe factory. And he worked, there's my inspiration also, he worked himself up. And when he re, when he finally left there, when he was 50-some years old, he was the plant manager over 200 people. Okay. So he went from 18 years old sweeping floors to the plant manager of the whole factory of 200 people. So he was like my inspiration. Like he always said, you, ha- you have to work. If you want something, you have to work hard for it. And his thing was, I don't care if you're – the CEO of a company or you're cleaning ditches, you still do the best job you can. Mm -hmm. Like that was his thing. So he's always said, I don't care what job you have, you do it to the best of your ability. And I think he truly felt that because that's why he got moved up the ladder at work because he always did the best job he could. So I'm being 28 years old. I was a single mother. And I said to him, I want to buy a house. First it was when I wanted to buy a house. And I says, but I, I have no money. And he said, like work hard we'll watch tiffany you get two other jobs at night and i ended up buying my own home when i was a single parent but it was because him he always said if you work hard you get it don't ever say you can't like he said you want something work for it so that's what i've been doing my whole life working for it (laughs) no i mean but that's the i mean you know it's funny because i just yesterday had an incredible interview with our very good friend laura dennis and yeah. one of the quotes I remember from when I worked for her and I worked alongside of her and I've heard many, many, many times over the years, one of the things she always says, and she says she tells her nephew that now who's just getting started in his own career path is you can't be, you got to carry the, you can't be a rock star without carrying the band equipment. You got to carry the yeah. band equipment first and you got to carry it yeah. everywhere you got to go. You got to set up your own mics and your amps and all that stuff that goes into it. And I'm sure you've heard that before because you have been around music a very good part of your life um you know your late husband who was an incredible musician and a very good friend of mine and my family um he would understand that concept i guess more than anybody or that that uh you know rationale oh you can't you're not just gonna i mean there are people that get lucky and there are people that get you know their 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 quick break or whatever it is when they're 30 years old. And by the time they're 35, they have an amazing career and they're collecting great paychecks. And by the time they're 40, they're looking at the next step in their life. And that doesn't happen to everybody. The people that it does happen to, it's not even, it, you know, it doesn't have to do with luck or sometimes it does. It's who you know, and it's different things that happen in your career path and people you come across. Um, but 
that's not to say those people aren't hard workers. I'm not discrediting those, you know, individuals that get that lucky break. But sometimes people are left money in their family and they do terrible things with that and they waste it all and blow it all away. But other people start businesses or they invest it properly and they buy a home and they start a family or whatever it might be. But for you, it sounds like, you know, your mom and dad, they worked very hard, but your dad being the inspirational person, like to, to watch him kind of go up the ladder and become the plant manager and, you know, just kind of telling you, you got to work for it, you know? Oh, yeah. Then I said, Mike, he just passed away like two years ago. But at the wake, this gentleman came in and he said, you don't know me. My mother goes, no, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know you. And he said, I was um, an 18 year old boy when your husband hired me. And the first two months I worked so hard and he came to me and he said, you're a hard worker. He goes, I'm going to make you a mechanic. And he said, I don't know how to be a mechanic. And he goes, you're going to learn because you are a good worker and I'm going to make you move up in this company. And he came in and he said, if it wasn't for your father, I wouldn't have a wife, a house, four wonderful children and vacations every year and new cars. It was because of your father. So that made me feel good. You know, like my father gave credit to people and helped people that he knew were good people and wanted to work hard and move along in their life. So that was like touching. Yeah. Yeah. But my father was the most gentle man. Like he turned the other cheek and learned how to forgive and don't worry. You know, like he was very like he wasn't mean at all. No, I mean, that's the thing. Like I met your parents probably when I first started working with you at the, at the restaurant and yeah. coming to your house for something, or I'm sure maybe they came into the restaurant for something. And our initial, I think, connection, even like me and your dad was, you would say, Shane's uncle used to go to, go to Baba's, de- go to, you know, our, yeah. the deli, like he would go to the deli. They used to live down the street, whatever, whatever, whatever. And that's how we started the conversation. I would say exactly what I just said. I was like a couple times a year, a couple times a summer, whatever it was, I'd spend a weekend at my cousin's house and we rode our bikes up to the deli. And at some point, I guarantee I probably met your father 30 years ago when I was a six-year-old uh, kid. You know what I mean? Like he was probably, probably sitting in the deli on his day off, talking to his brother and having a cup of coffee or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's a crazy, uh, I mean, you, you, like you got to carry the band equipment if you want to be the rock star. You can't do them both. You know, you can't do the first that's one it. first. Um, unless you're on like American Idol or something, I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, if you had any, any, I guess in your life that you would go back to like a time, is there anywhere you would go back to and do something over? Um, you know what? I, I hate to say this, but I have no regrets. I don't think I would do anything over. The only thing I would, <laughs> if it sounds only thing I ever thought about that I would regret is that I never had a child with Charles. Okay. <laughs> that was my, that's like my only regret in life, mm-hmm. you know, but everything else, I just feel like I was blessed in everything I have. I have a wonderful child. I have a wonderful grandchild. Mm-hmm. I had wonderful parents. I have great friends. So I just, I have no regrets. I have nothing like I don't wish for or hope for or want anything in my life. I think I was totally blessed, you know? So you definitely have, a, I think, more friends than I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> the first time we ever went on a trip, you're like, hey, I'm planning the trip. We're going to go to Jamaica. This is probably like the 50th trip you've been on, but my first. And it's based on double occupancy. You need somebody else to go with. It's like 800 bucks all inclusive. You got you know, you to book it now. You got to book it now. So 
I went with Amanda and we, I said, I went to Amanda and I said, Hey, I want to go on this trip. I said, it's like 850 bucks or something. I remember writing the check. And at the time, I don't know if I, I was like 20 years old or 20 or 21 years old. And I was working like two different bartending jobs and doing a side office gig on the here, doing that, whatever. I was still in college. And I think I was a senior, so it must have been, or maybe a junior in college. It was like 2008 or 2009. And I remember going to Amanda and having the money in my checking account. Because at that time, I was probably just paying like a phone bill and, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I was 20 years old. And I probably spent more at the bar than I made in a week. But I would say, I would, I, for whatever reason, that week, I had the 820 some dollars. I remember it being like 826 or $29 or something. And she's like, yeah, I'll go because Amanda, too, worked 10 jobs and always bartended. And we went and I was like, how the hell are this many people from my town in Jamaica? I remember looking around the pool <laughs> and seeing like this couple and that couple. And it was people from every age demographic, every wherever. And I, like I knew some of them because I knew some of their kids or I knew some of them because they lived next to me at some point in you know, yeah. my hometown. But I remember looking around there and be like, how does one person get this many people to travel with her? Like, <laughs> this is insane. Like, it's like, a, I, I was like, am I part of like a cult or like, am I getting sucked into like a ring here where I'm going to be like, and, stuck and on wasn't the there was a range, and wasn't there a range of ages? 70 some people. So I was talking about, I was the, I mean, yeah. I was 20, I was just, 20, you were the youngest. So yeah. like, it must've been 2008 because I was just turned 21. And yeah. it was like the year after that, maybe. So I wasn't quite 22, but I remember being like the youngest person on the trip and the next age up, they weren't 30 yet. And then there was like a bunch of people in their forties, fifties. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, these people are in their seventies. Like they're retired <laughs> for 10 years already with great grandchildren. Some of them telling stories at the bar and I'm sitting there drinking bourbon on the rocks with a guy who's 80 years old almost, you know, oh my God. but we had the best time. I and I've, I, that's some of the best memories. I've been on two or three trips with you and your group. And, yes. um, I mean, that's just a testament to the people that you obviously have in your life and you have an amazing circle of people. And we'll be seeing most of them again in a couple of weeks. You guys are traveling to Florida and yep. I, I can't wait to see them. You know what I mean? Like a lot of those people I see once a year and it's usually when you travel here. But Well, I'm just I'm I'm planning on coming to Florida because, I, as you know, you're, I'm coming to your wedding. Right. And so I told my friends, I'm like, oh, I'm going to Florida. And on um, November, Shane's getting married. And I'm just going to spend like five or six days and make a vacation on it. They're like, oh, we'll go. So now there's, I think, 28 people coming to Florida. Now, only three of us are going to the wedding. But right. the other people are just coming because we're all going to Florida. Well, I think vacation. other people might join into that, your reservation there, I swear. Because I was talking to some <laughs> people this week that are also coming that waited until the last minute. And they've got their flights, but don't have a place to stay. So now they're looking at Airbnbs and whatnot. And they're like, well, we we're, we heard that there's a group going to St. Pete Beach. And I'm like, well, there's a group going. It's about 30 people. And if you want to go to that party, it'd probably be more fun than my own party. But <laughs> No, we'll have fun. We'll um, have fun. Yeah, no, that's, it'll be a great time. It's just a testament to who you are and everything like that. But um, so, all right, so you're still working. You're working at um, the Red Mill in Pittston, yes. incredible, incredible establishment. It's been there for so long. Um, fast forward, where do you see yourself in like five years? Five years, I still see myself working part-time because I have to stay active, but mm. in five years, I will definitely be doing more traveling. I mean, I do travel a lot now, but I just want, I want to see different parts of the world mm. and I still want to 
there's so much more to see out there and different parts of the United States too, which I haven't seen half of the United States. So I love to travel, you know that. So where's your favorite place to go? Well, my favorite place was, is Sicily. When I went to Sicily the first time, it was because, um, chart, my husband, Charles, his met, his sister met a man online that was actually a cousin that they didn't know they had and oh, they kept nice. communicating and then they said why don't you come to sicily and we always wanted to go to sicily because that's where charles's grandfather was born and his family so we were like okay let's do it and the first time i went to sicily it was amazing and i didn't realize how like you know i'm a big beach person mm-hmm. this place called san vito la capo oh it was so beautiful. I love Turks, but San Vito was just amazing. And um, I, we went back a second time to Sicily, and the people are just so friendly. And and he was born in a town called his grandfather, Montedoro. So we went there. It's old-fashioned. It's like they don't have a grocery store. The little tr- huckster truck comes around with the fruits and vegetables. So it's oh like living God. in the 60s. And my husband loved it, and so did I because – it was like everybody knew each other. So like when we were walking down the street, they're like Americanas, Americanas, like because the whole neighborhood knew each other. But that's how but we grew you up. Didn't belong there, you don't live. Yes, there. Yeah. like so it's still back how Pittston was in the right. 50s, you know. So it was amazing. So I loved Sicily, and of course, and you know, wasn't I there, what was the story, or was it I'm trying to think? It was no, it was Charles. It was Charles, and he had somebody showed him the picture. Well, of like Lisa, he was a kid or something. Lisa. His sister went on Facebook and saw this man named uh, Giuseppe Infantino. And she's like, wow. And he's from Montedoro. She's like, how many Infantinos could there be in Montedoro that aren't related to us? That's my grandfather's name. That's where he was born. And Montedoro's really, really small. So she contacted him online and said, you know, maybe somehow we're related. I was just curious. And she said, my father, which is Charlie's father, visited there in the 70s. And he has a photo in Montedoro with cousins that he has his picture taken with, but he has passed my father. So we don't know who these people are. Maybe you would recognize somebody. And she sent him the picture on Facebook. And he said, the young gentleman standing next to your father is me. No. (laughs) Yes. And he said, we're cousins. And he explained how Charles's grandfather and his grandfather were brothers. And so we, we had to go. He's like, you have to come here. We have to meet. And we went to, Sicily and it was fantastic. It was wonderful and they're so and nobody spoke English but we used our phones to translate mm-hmm. and he had a sister which is Charles's cousin also, Franca and she had us to her house and they cooked fabulous meals for us and we spent like four days in Montedoro just visiting the families and then toured from there but the whole part, every part of Sicily was absolutely beautiful. I remember, I know you're a beach person I remember you coming back yeah. and you were texting me and you were telling me about this trip because I think I had already been living in Florida and you were telling me about this beach and how it was the nicest beach you've ever been on and I know yes. you've been to probably a hundred different beaches in the yeah. world and I'm like, yeah. how, I didn't even know there were beaches in Italy, you know what I mean? Like That's what I said, when I, I like in Sicily like, I was like, like I wasn't expecting tropical, beautiful beaches like there was, right. you know. No, but we, we kind of found San Vito La Capo by mistake because we got a map and I went with my husband Charles, me, my sister-in-law Lisa and David Joyce and said, he said, here's the map. Everybody put a, a spot where they want to stop. Like, just pick something. And I looked it up online. And I said, 
off the beaten path, best places to see in Sicily. Because I just don't want to go to the tourist traps. And San Vito La Capo came up. And the next year when we went back, we went right back to San Vito. Like, that's how wonderful it was. Yeah, we loved it. Yeah, that's I've never been to Italy, but I've, I remember hearing your stories and other people's stories of going there and finding family members and seeing uh, pictures and looking at like databases of names and stuff and who was born on what street. And yes, it's just incredible. Yeah. And I, I, I would hope I can get to do that someday for my own family and my own, you know, yeah. ancestry. And then like they say social media, like I know for the kids, sometimes it's not good, you know, but like we would have never found that cousin. Never. And then. Like, so now on Facebook, you become friends with people on Facebook. So when we were there, David Joyce went into the drugstore because he forgot a razor. And the man behind the desk goes, Joyce. And, and he, he's like, what? And he's like, how does this guy know me? And he goes, Facebook, Facebook. No way. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So, like, I guess he told people in town, like, my cousins are coming my from America. Are coming. They, the last name is yeah. Joyce. Yeah. That's yeah they look him up and then they, they recognize yeah, them. Yeah. Not, I mean, that guy might have lived next door to them, you know, and they yeah, had drinks yeah. the night before or whatever. Yep. It was funny. Yeah, but it was it was awesome. That is insane. I that, loved yeah, it. An incredible story. Um yeah, I hope someday I can get there for sure. So you're looking for okay, so five years you're gonna keep working. Would you ever buy a restaurant again? Never. <laughs> <laughs> Very quick answer. Very quick answer. Yeah, I not that <clears throat> I absolutely loved it. I would never give that up. It was the most wonderful experience in my life and I wouldn't have met you and I wouldn't have met a lot of close friends that I have today that I've met through the restaurant that I'm still friends with today like the Gilligans mm -hmm. that I met them through the restaurant and um but it's hard work it really is and it consumes your life and I'm too old to do it now I just want to do more traveling and spend more time and that's kind of the reason why I gave it up is because I wanted to travel more and spend t more time with Charles Right. And that was it. That's why I gave it up. Not because it wasn't the business was still booming at the time, but I just said, you know what, let me just do the get a, a part time job or a full time job doing something. And I just want to spend more time with him and travel more. And that's what I did. Yeah, no, that's I mean, so, yeah, that's you definitely have the right plan because <laughs> most people oh, don't yeah. have that plan. And they say, yeah. hey, well, I'm going to work till I die and I'm going to work until, you know, no. and, and they're they're too proud to give up their their day to day. But if you have a plan and you have something that you want to stick to, that is part of your pursuit. That's what this, you know, it's why I start, you know, really started this podcast. I wanted to hear people's stories and just talk to people that I knew that I've worked with that have inspired me in some way, knowing, you, you know, I just happened to work with you. Somebody offered me the position at the restaurant and you were the chef. So, you know, coming into that place and working and then getting to meet you and talk to you and the stories you're talking about, you know, um, getting your first building and buying the restaurant, Bianco's and stuff. I've kind of heard that story before, but it was 15 years ago. You know what I mean? Because I remember yeah. being like, I would walk in there and I was 21 or whatever at the time. And I would say, well, she used to have that great restaurant down the street. But like, you know, why am she's I working, working here? here. Yeah. Not even why, yeah. but like now she's working here. Yeah. I remember asking you, even talking to you there, like, Nora, would you ever buy another restaurant or would you ever want to like manage or run a restaurant like you'd be great at like events or anything that's like catering related and you always just said no like I did no. that already like that I was, love that to was, cook so I, my, I go to work 20s 30s and yeah you know that was my life then I, I raised my yeah. daughter with that and I was married there yeah. and I did this that was a section that was a second second phase of my life you know yeah and now I'm in this phase of my life and then you know talking now like you're saying you want to travel more that's your next phase and that's your that's your whole pursuit you know everyone has this um, manifest or whatever you want to call it when they're kids and they're like, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be a firefighter or garbage man or whatever. 
But like not many people, unless you grow up in a household of chefs, are going to say, I'm going to be a chef. I'm going to own restaurants and I'm going to be a chef the rest of my life. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know anybody else. Like no. maybe some people, maybe it's more common than it is. I don't know. I just haven't talked to that many chefs maybe in, in my life. <laughs> but, um, you know, most people have some sort of career path that they follow and it doesn't really happen until they're like in high school or they're in college or whatever for you yeah. this is your pursuit and this is your entire path and um i have always said and at one point i even talked to you about opening a business for myself and you were like it's got to start you know you you talked to me it's funny because you could tell me these stories now but you talked to me like you were just telling me this story about how you never cooked a day in your life and you had to teach yourself how to bartend and for me yeah. i don't cook at all so i remember you telling me things like it's got to be if you're going to do it it's got to be as simple as possible to start menu items that are nothing crazy but really good yeah. something just to generate revenue and then you slowly get the business going you slowly get the clientele and you get the word on the street and whatever 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 and then eventually it happens but it's hard work and it's all that dedication that you have to put into it it's not just like yeah, I'm going to hire a busboy and a girl and this, that, whatever, and they're going to do the work for me. You know, like, you got to put the time in. And I, you know, yeah. I obviously know that I grew up in a house of six children, and we've always worked. You know what I mean? And, like, I, I remember being a kid, and my oldest brothers were dishwashers at a restaurant in West Pittston. And my mother would have to go pick them up because they didn't drive yet. You know what I mean? Like, so you have to have that, um, you have to have that drive. And, like, it sounds like for you, your dad was really that big inspiration on uh Oh. God, yeah. working your way up a ladder and you know becoming the person that you really want to be you got to put the time in you know yeah and but yeah For... and i mean people say i don't know like success like it's success doesn't mean they have to make a million dollars either like you know what i mean i just feel like i accomplished what i wanted to accomplish i like to travel so i'm making enough money so i could travel that's it and that's i don't it. want any, i don't want anything extra i guess no. i don't know you know, but well, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, and I've said this before, you're one of the smartest people I've ever worked with in terms of like business mind and like cost savings and business savvy. And it shows through your your work ethic. It shows with everything you do when it comes to, you know, putting a menu together and, and, and putting a product out for your for your people in your restaurants to eat. It also shows when you travel. I've traveled with you. You're a cheap traveler. <laughs> you get the job done on whatever you can get it done with. And most of the people around you follow in that lead. And to me, that's a sign of a great leader when people follow their person that's doing what they should be doing or want to be doing. Um, for the most part, I would say that you are a great leader. And I've always said this, that you're one of the smartest businesswomen that I know. And I've seen that just working with you over the 10 years and knowing your history and knowing where you're, what you're doing now and, you know, being able to start your own business and raise your daughter and now you're you know you have a grandchild and you're traveling more like that's just an incredible i guess you know story that people can can listen to and say wow you know she she really kind of worked her ass off her whole life you know <laughs> yeah she but, did it on her own you know everybody has uh, yeah. someone that helps them and everyone kind of gets to a point in their life where they're like okay you know maybe it's your parents maybe it's somebody it's like hey you know i need I need a hundred bucks for this or 5,000 for that, whatever. I mean, if, if things could happen for you, that money is involved. Sometimes that's not all you need though. You need to have that hard work yeah. drive. You can't just that's say, how my, I'm going to open a parents... restaurant, I need 50 grand. And then someone gives you 50 grand and it goes out yeah. of business. You know I mean? There's a reason yeah. you had such a successful career in hospitality. 
my father and mother, like they weren't wealthy by no means. So did they help me? They never financially gave me any money, but as far as watching my daughter so Mm -hmm. I could get a second job, that's how they helped me. But my father just kept saying, my father drilled that in my head. You want something? Work for it. Like everything's achievable. Like that's how he made me feel like anything I wanted to do was achievable as long as I worked for it. So that's how it was. So they didn't hand me money or anything like that, but my father taught me how to work hard, you know? And then I'm laughing because you said I'm a cheap vacationer. I just got off the phone this morning because I just text messaged everybody that's going on the cruise in February because the booze package went down today to 30% off. So I said, cancel cancel your package and rebook each couple to save $82. So that's what they were doing. That's what I was doing this morning. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, you got to send me the details on that cruise. You might see me there, too, for that for good well, price. <laughs> that's February is the, just Bahamas. But next September, we're going on a Mediterranean cruise for 10 days. And there's 20-some people already going. That one might be more in my in my lane. Yeah. <laughs> and it's on my February, but next, I bucket list. Um, Sardinia and Malta. I always wanted to go to those two islands. So they're on they're on the cruise. Two stops. Yes. Well, I think you definitely know your 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 lane. Your accomplishments obviously speak for themselves. Um, I I think more people should follow you in your lane because you're extremely Mm -hmm. intelligent in many, many different avenues. Um, You've obviously been a good friend to me and my family and and like, you know, and and many other people. You're like a local celebrity in Pittston. But I just want to say thank you. No, for real. I mean, thank you. No, but you have to look at yourself too, because I remember walking every morning for exercise uh-huh. with you when you had absolutely nothing but a broken down Jeep and there didn't have any direction where you were going. And I think now you're on a pursuit. <laughs> Zero direction. No, for sure. And I remember that. I wish I still had that Jeep, but some lady T-boned me and she bent the frame. That thing would still be running. One of those Jeep Cherokees. I swear to God. Uh, yeah. Run you could buy the light bulbs at. I think the appliance store. Oh God. Um, yeah. But no, thank you for being on the podcast. If anybody uh, wants to come see you, you're always at the Red Mill. The Red yes. Mill is an incredible little establishment there. Not little anymore. They've expanded. It's actually really a great establishment now with uh, Penn State football on the weekends, which is the season. But um, we will see you in a couple of weeks. And, uh, look forward to traveling with you again and i thank you again for being on this podcast necessary pursuit and uh that's all i have all right thank you shane and i'll see you in november thanks nor all right everybody that was noreen infantino on season one necessary pursuit we recorded that back in september so we talked a little bit about things happening upcoming my wedding and different things like that but um you get the idea Noreen, we love Noreen, and I cannot wait to see her again. Hopefully, I can get on one of those trips with her in the next year. But uh, don't forget, wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on Spotify or Apple or any other platform, make sure for this, with Necessary Pursuit, you subscribe to the podcast, you like it, you leave reviews, and rate the the projects as you listen to them, uh, every one that I publish out there, make sure we're getting their reviews back to me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you're listening to. And if you have any questions or if you have any ideas of what you'd like to hear on upcoming episodes, it's you can email me at shane at necessarypursuit.com. Most of you listening, if you follow me on social media, I'm on Instagram at Necessary Pursuit. I'm also on Facebook at Necessary Pursuit. 
you could direct message me right through that, or you can send me different um, ideas, you know, however you want to get them to me. I'd be happy to listen to what your thoughts and opinions are on this project of mine. Thank you again. Have a great rest of your week. Um, talk to you soon.